Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Gobeski Wallace Report. My name is Charlie Wallace. And my name is Adam Gobeski, and we have with us two special guests who will introduce themselves in order of increasing emo-ness. Hi, I'm Doug Gobeski. And I'm Paul Wilcox. Was that emo enough? I don't know what emo actually sounds like as spoken word, so... Sad boy stuff, right? Spoken word emo. That's, that's just a poetry session, right? Open mic poetry yeah. night? <laughs> Are, are you confusing emo and screamo? Or like, are you conflating the two in your head? I don't know what screamo. I've never heard of that. Yeah, it's emo music, but they're screaming the lyrics. Oh, hmm. I guess that makes sense. So then lyrically, what would be any different? Death Cab doesn't scream the lyrics, dude. I was just having a mashup of like a poetry slam right. and like emo. But the emo was a very general sense emo. Uh, in my mind i think we can all agree there's there's many shades of emo so what specific type of emo was depicted in spider-man 3 (laughs) um Mm, sad boy dashboard fan probably okay dashboard and death cab (laughs) they're getting like a like a sad billy joe armstrong vibe from him (laughs) oh oh gross he does oh but like I said, when I first, I uh, thought you were going to say sad Billy Joel. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, in case you have not yet worked it out, we are on our 24th installment of the Mary Marvel Movie March here to talk about the May 4th, 2007 release, Spider-Man 3. So this is our second trilogy. We did. We it's our third trilogy. Th- it's our third trilogy. We got Blade. What else did we get? X-Men. X-Men. Oh, X-Men. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So Spider-Man 3 is the story of one Dennis Spider-Man, who is the third in line for the Spider-Mansion. And uh, he has to spend a night in a haunted house where strange (laughs) sandy uh, creatures attack him. A separate haunted house that's not the mansion. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Terms and conditions. I didn't realize Spider was his nickname i thought it was spider dennis man (laughs) (laughs) well i think part of the problem is that there's some script confusion that you actually end up getting it both ways depending on what point you are in the movie i think there's a draft artifact and no one actually knows if it's dennis spider man or spider dennis man (laughs) (laughs) had you seen it before um i believe that i saw it in the theater and then uh not any time in between then and now i think that was it although i might have seen it like twice in the theater wait twice does this mean that paul's gonna be the one who defends the movie from the rest of us dogpiling on it i might defend aspects of it we'll see (laughs) i saw it twice in the theater and not a single time since then if that tells you. <laughs> well, I'll mm. contribute to the box office, but I'm not going to like it. <laughs> <laughs> Got to support this, else they might stop making these movies. <laughs> it's the goodwill from Spider-Man uh, 2 still playing out. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe it'll be better if I rewatch it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I did know that in the introductory credits... Uh, you got effectively what you had been hoping for with Blade 3. You got a recap of the previous movies. Yeah, but we that wanted was... the full movie, not just a recap. 
Wait, are you saying you didn't pause it at that point and watch the full Spider-Man 1 and then start playing again and then get to the Spider-Man 2 part of the credits and then watch Spider-Man 2? You didn't do that? Well, first of all, it's watch Spider-Man 1 twice and then watch Spider-Man 2 once and then don't watch Spider-Man 3 so that it's 2-1-0. And frankly, the DVD should just provide that for me. I shouldn't have to set it up myself. (laughs) Yeah. Wouldn't have thought that would be considered a big ask, but here we are. Right. But, um, yeah, I'd seen this movie twice before. I saw it in theaters. And then when I bought a used copy of the DVD like eight, nine years ago, um, I watched it again. And then I hadn't seen it since until recently. Did I watch it with you when you watched that used copy? Anything's possible. So I guess that means I, I saw it in the theaters and then possibly once since then. And I know. Yeah, I saw it in the theater, and I don't remember the context under which I saw it, except being very disappointed. <laughs> I remember that feeling, but I don't remember anything else that happened, and I haven't seen it since. So this was the only the second time I've seen it for this episode. Yeah, Spider-Man 3, a huge success. The highest grossing Marvel movie uh, until The Avengers, actually. Oh, really? Wow. With uh, nearly a billion dollars worldwide. Oof. Yeah, how was the critical hmm. response? Uh, I think it's at like 62% on Rotten Tomatoes, something like that. Spider-Man 3 at 59 on Metacritic. It's not great, but not exactly panned either. Yeah, by comparison, like Ghost Rider's at 35. What? (laughs) (laughs) A very quick offended response from Doug. (laughs) Well, I didn't, I didn't continuously flip off the screen and yell while I was watching Ghost Rider. Jeez. (laughs) At worst, I was like, well, these special effects could be better. Why is he drinking jelly beans? You know, that sort of stuff. But other than that, I was entertained. (laughs) That was not the sort of experience I had here with Spider-Man 3. So what do you want to talk about? How much it sucks? Well, fine, but... (laughs) Well, yeah. And why? (laughs) I say we ju- we dive right into it and we discuss the emo Peter Parker portion of the movie. <laughs> no, we've got so much movie before you even get to that. <laughs> oh, okay, oops. fine. We'll do it your way. Well, what is your way? Do we, do we usually go good news first with these? Because I feel like the movie really started out pretty promising and sort of fell apart. I, like for the first, like, you know, I don't know, maybe an hour. I was like. Oh, why? I don't know why people gave this such a hard time. You know, it's it's all right. Yeah, I I almost felt like what made me dislike it so much this time was just knowing how bad it was going to get by the end. I think you're right. <laughs> I didn't mind the stuff with um, Harry Osborne actually up into a point, a very specific wow. point. Like I think that might have made a more promising movie if we'd concentrated a little bit more on that. But it definitely feels like this is a movie that's like it's it's weird in that it feels like it has too much going on but it also feels like there's long stretches where not enough's going on (laughs) right (laughs) it feels like a movie that they just sort of shot it but didn't really have a working like an actual i don't mean working script but i mean like they didn't have a script that actually worked before they started filming so it is just all over the place I mean, I don't think it's as all over the place as Ghost Rider was tonally, but 
I think because they have so many plot lines that they want to explore while also like maintaining the characterization and that arc that bits suffer and like stuff happens without being clearly explained and things like that. When they were first initially making the movie, um, Sam Raimi wanted to do Sandman because he thought Sandman would look cool on the screen. And then he initially wanted to do Vulture for this. And they basically told him, hey, stop picking your favorite Spider-Man villains from when you're a kid. No one knows who they are anymore. Put in Venom instead. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but that's essentially what happened was that the studio based said, uh, we want you to put Venom in this movie. And he, Sam Raimi was initially resistant and in interviews at the time said he came around to the idea and found ways in which he could, um, use the character in the story he wanted to tell, which was supposed to be about giving, uh, it was supposed to be about dragging Peter Parker, Spider-Man down into the shades of gray of humanity a little bit. Like the way it was described was that the previous two had been sort of black and white in Peter Parker's characterization. And they wanted to explore like what happened when like you were confronted with like a villain who was sympathetic, which is how Sandman here is presented and like how like Spider-Man would react to that and stuff like that. And so then at the time, Sam Raimi's like, oh, and I figured out how to use Venom, you know, in conjunction with that. Now, I don't know how much of that was like spin at the time so that people (laughs) could see his movie versus how much he genuinely thought that. But I think the problem with that is that when he his suit's taken over by Venom, then it gives him the excuse that, oh, well, that's the reason why I'm acting bad. It's because I'm wearing the suit all the time. Like, and there's, it's supposed to be a two-way street, right? It's like part partly that and partly his own feelings that allow that to happen. But I don't know. I felt like if that component wasn't there, it would have been a little bit more compelling. See, I thought that on the first viewing, but on this viewing, I did not get any feeling throughout the entire film that Spider-Man was a sympathetic character like it's just awful all the way through like it just starts with cringe he you know he goes to see mary jane on broadway and you know he's like that's my you know he like says to the guy next to him you know that's my girlfriend and you know and you're just like you're just like feeling for the guy it's like oh my gosh this is who i'm sitting next to this tool oh they're like the whole relationship between peter parker and mary jane in this movie just plays out almost like a horror film (laughs) like it's such an abusive relationship dysfunctional there's none of the charm that we had in the previous movies i can't decide if i'm watching a movie that hates the two films that came before and is you know just trying to dump on spider-man almost like a spiteful parody of them i mean i definitely didn't get that impression um, now, maybe that's partly because I wasn't actually that impressed this time around with their relationship in either of the first two movies, really, either. And so this movie kind of felt like just a continuing along that same path of like Peter Parker gets carried away and does something stupid and Mary Jane won't listen to him to explain it. And then, you know, stuff happens, which to me mm-hmm. felt like very much in line with like the previous two movies. As far as the relationship goes the goalposts kind of move between the last couple of movies and this one, because it starts out with him showing up to the show that she's in was a big sticking point in the second one where he couldn't show up and here he does it, but then it's more like, okay, well you're going through the motions and doing the things you think you're supposed to do, but not really connecting or being empathetic, which I think is more, I think it's more reasonable. 
I did not get that impression. What do you mean reasonable? Can you elaborate? He says that he can relate to her. He's like, oh, yeah, I get you're going through. Spider-Man goes through this all the time. She's like, that's like you can't make like. Yeah, he, there's no he direct relationship. All here about yet. him. He does. He makes it all about himself. And I'm not. But saying, he's not. He's not doing the things because he thinks that's what you're supposed to do. He's doing the things because he genuinely wants to do it. Yeah. It's just the problem is that he doesn't notice that. He's talking about him like he's trying to relate to her with like, oh, yeah, this happens to be a Spider-Man. Right. And he's not noticing that she's doesn't want to hear that. basically. So he's kind of a doofus before and Spider-Man 2 where he can't do these certain things. And then in Spider-Man 3, he's like, oh, I'm doing these things now. And he's still kind of a doofus. (laughs) Yeah, I felt like that. That's the impression I got from the early part of the movie is like they they laid that on like a little thicker than maybe they needed to. But, but that's not going through the motions, right? I mean, that's actually doing it. I well consider how she got fired from the thing, and it takes him almost the entire movie to find out because he doesn't listen to her. She he, even tries no, to tell him. No, she even no, tries she to tell him. She does not. She does. she no tries, point to, tries tell him, to tell him, and he just you know it turns it around and makes it about Spider Man again, and he's so self centered. I no, I, I, you I are, couldn't stand it. You are wrong. I don't know how to explain this to you more clearly. You are wrong. Do we need to take an intermission uh, and rewatch the movie? (laughs) She she does not tell him. She starts to come close during the dinner scene. That's what I'm saying. But but he's trying to be supportive and helpful and relate it to in a way that she he thinks, look, I get it, and that's why. And then she storms out, right? That's not his fault. I mean, it is his fault. (laughs) <laughs> it is his fault because he's so inattentive to her emotionally and he's just making it about him oh so he's every guy on a date ever <laughs> dude do you not watch movies for escapism i want to see a guy who's not a bad date i want to see a great guy i want my hero to be a hero i don't want him to be just some scumbag normie but, but that's the point of spider-man he's great at spider-man and crap is peter parker go watch a dc movie for that right he's right. i can't believe you're making me defend this movie <laughs> Like, like I, I don't know. I mean, he it it doesn't feel like he actually when he's trying to you know get her listen to her and stuff. It doesn't feel like he's actually making a connection at all. Okay, but that's different from him not trying to make a connection because I think he's absolutely trying and just failing and not noticing that he's failing. Right, but okay, hold on, pause by that point. All right, we, we, just, no. we need to we need to talk about something. Okay, yeah, sure, I, I can pause. <laughs> Mary Jane gets fired because they can't hear her past the first row. She's on Broadway. Who the f*** is not miking their singers on Broadway? (laughs) (laughs) She gets fired because the sound tech didn't do it. Well, maybe she was... Maybe they have a bad budget, and uh, she's also the sound tech. <laughs> and she forgot to mic herself. And that's why she got a, fired. A, no. <laughs> B, <laughs> the size of that place. There's no way you wouldn't be miking your Broadway singers on that, because they're not seeing an opera. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had to pause the, the episode and then just complain to Brianne about it. Where I was just like, what? This is what they want us to believe. That she can't project well, and that's somehow her fault and not the sound guy's fault. I also loved when they fired her, and 
like they didn't tell her they were going to fire her and she just showed up and which is absolutely ridiculous and then right as she walked out the guy has a line and i wonder if that actor added himself is like well that was handled really poorly yeah. <laughs> like yeah <laughs> that was a good that was a good moment like it just, it's like wow we screwed like up a, a real t- a touch of realism in- <laughs> but to be fair to the to the director right they did have the line ahead of time about like didn't her agent call her exactly like so maybe they, they did they try a little bit <laughs> oh, i actually thought that made that made sense like that whole scene i was like yeah. oh that's a reasonable explanation and that yeah. sort of thing happens all the time I'm without sure. yeah without that line i'm not sure i would have quite bought it but so that's anyway. one of the top lines of the movie <laughs> <laughs> my question at this point is did anybody like the relationship in this like did they enjoy watching it <laughs> oh i think we're agreeing no. we're disagreeing it was, what it was but i no. think nobody really liked it <laughs> <laughs> it was you know just kind of frustrating to watch in the sense that you know and that a lot of like movie romance tropes are difficult to watch and that they are usually based on some sort of misunderstanding and lack of communication and it's the kind of thing that could be solved with like a relatively short conversation but it just never happens i mean it makes sense for me as a relationship for the movie that they're telling because you're not going to see the intervening three years where they were totally fine right because that's not drama wait and, this doesn't and i got right that after? in like the first minutes when he sure doesn't look like out. it he sits down and is being a total dork in the front row. And I was like, okay, this is presuming like, you know, they established that there's been a long peace time here and they've been, you know, hanging out. She's on Broadway now. Everything's good. And you only have a few minutes in the movie and then, okay, okay, now it will fall apart. And we expect that. Okay. I I guess that makes sense. I mean, you look at how beloved Spider-Man is in the community and that wouldn't have happened overnight. So exactly. Okay, I was I was uh, mistaken on that part. I, I didn't really think it through enough to realize that, yeah, it's a good amount of time has passed, and movies don't show you, they don't bother to show you the the boring, peaceful stuff. I wouldn't mind watching some boring, peaceful fan films, though. I'm sure there's a few out there. <laughs> I think they're probably on Pornhub. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, boring and peaceful? Well, you know, the happy yeah. parts of their relationship. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only documentation. <laughs> All right, so as long as we're complaining about things, Charlie, <laughs> help me out here. What sort of experiment do you run at night in an open-air facility that involves particle physics? Um, hmm. Where you're just like, oh, it's just a bird, it'll fly away. That won't mess up our ex- random weird experiment at all. <laughs> yeah, I, I I couldn't get a good sense of what sort of uh what sort of tests they were running there, like in a sand pit, or I don't even remember yeah. what they were saying it was. Like even as a physicist, my mind turns off when they start talking about <laughs> physics in, yeah. in movies. It's it's the best way to watch, probably. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's different from the comic book origin of Sandman, where he just touches radioactive sand <laughs> <laughs> if i remember really? correctly it's something like that yeah oh my goodness well that, that's a lot more realistic i <laughs> on some level i did appreciate the blase attitude that the the scientists took towards the experiment no 
we're not going to bother to have a camera that we can actually watch and <laughs> see what's going on, verify anything. Nope. Close the blast shields and move on with the experiment. <laughs> well, this is the same movie universe that, you know, got mad at Doc Ock for creating fusion, but not containing it properly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> They've got a very casual yet just off kilter relationship with physics. <laughs> Any and, sort and of scientific sound engineering, engineering as well. Oh. <laughs> Radios haven't been invented yet. It's open air, uh, high energy physics, outdoor f- facility. That's within uh, jogging distance of downtown. <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, when you run experiments, you really want to not be able to control for outside environmental (laughs) effects. I will say, though, that... Maybe it needed to be outside. Maybe they were studying some sort of uh, beach science. Yeah, see if it prevents erosion during uh, hurricanes. (laughs) That's a very particle physics sort of thing, yeah. (laughs) Hey, there's a lot of sand there. Sand is made of particles. (laughs) <laughs> I'm sure physics is involved some way with all the spinning and whirling. <laughs> That's like the intro to a, a grant proposal right there, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> but you got a guy, you got to find a guy with a geological name or girl, you know, get somebody named Amber. Am- Amber Quartz. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, though, every time I've watched this movie, it's fairly clear to me that sam raimi's far more interested in the sandman story than he is in the venom story oh yeah. oh yeah so thomas hayden church is is in this he's good yeah 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 he is and he definitely looks like sandman like they did a good job with the costuming and the hairstyling and stuff i guess he's upset with spider-man because spider-man won't let him steal money just makes me wonder yeah. why he just doesn't go somewhere else and steal money like out of town i come back with it <laughs> He doesn't want to be too far from his daughter. I mean, this was one of those points, right, where it felt like the movie just like skipped some vital scene that we actually needed. (laughs) Where Venom finds him later, he's like, "Oh, you want to kill Spider-Man because he won't let you help your daughter or whatever, right?" Which is like, well, I mean, I guess, but we haven't really seen anything like that. It just felt like bits were missing, and that we were just meant to like, oh, of course, that's totally what's happening. Let's not question anything we see. Well, it's weird. Like, they try to make him a sympathetic character with the sick kid and all that stuff. Maybe I missed something, but what's the point of retconning him to be Uncle Ben's killer? Oh, that, Again, I hate that writing. Oh. Like, but, oh. like, like, I couldn't even work out what the point of that was supposed to be. It was it, to give Spider-Man the motivation to murder Sandman. I don't know. But. Like, why do you need that, right? He's wearing the black suit just to have him go murder him because that's what you do as black-suited Spider-Man, I guess? Well, I think Mm. black-suited Spider-Man just sort of amplified what was already there. So if he hadn't been already willing on some level to murder, then it wouldn't have actually, you know, pushed him over that edge. Mm. Okay. So, So the willingness to murder came from him being blind, you know, just couldn't think straight blinded with anger about uh, uncle ben's death but yeah venom any venom fans out there first of all you mean in general of the character venom yes okay i think when i was reading spider-man it was not during any of these the venom arcs but i remember having a very general sense when i was younger of like wow venom is super cool time to play maximum carnage on the snes or whatever (laughs) 
but that was like my background with Venom, and I feel like that's probably really common. It's like, yeah, Venom, cool, Venom's in the next movie. But I think if you're going to pick someone to be the same but opposite to Tobey Maguire as Peter Parker, I think you could do worse than Topher Grace as Eddie Brock. Like, I think from an independent point of view, Topher Grace as Eddie Brock probably isn't a great casting choice, but in relation to Tobey Maguire, it makes sense to me. Oh, like he's the anti-Tobey Maguire? Yeah, right. Like, he looks similar. He's got kind of a similar personality, but he's, you know, he, he whereas Peter tries to be, you know, upstanding and good, like, Eddie Brock's a cheat and a liar and kind of slimy, right? Like the way like he has that relationship with Gwen Stacy where he's like, oh, that's my girl that I want to marry. And it turns out like they went on like one date for coffee. So you're right. That does make sense, especially later when the symbiote leaves Peter Parker and ends up creating Venom because he was a little bit more willing of a host and very much like Peter Parker, except worse. Yeah, and definitely learned the the wrong lessons from his time in uh, religious education. <laughs> it felt like a felt like a Family Guy or Simpsons bit. Going to church, praying for God to kill the Spider Man for me, <laughs> or maybe just Peter Parker. I don't remember which. Peter Parker. Okay, so not even some sort of faceless super person. Please, God, kill another average guy human being for me. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> This guy's he really brought everyone. some havoc on my career. We need to <laughs> off him. Yeah. Goodness gracious. I, you know, you mentioned Eddie Brock and Gwen Stacy, and I guess in context, uh, this isn't a universe full of really quality, happy relationships, with the exception of uh, Aunt May and Uncle Ben. I don't know. Jay Jonah Jameson still seems to be with his wife. Okay, yeah. She's got him taking all those meds because she's looking out for him. Yeah. <laughs> it's not i doubt it's i mean maybe it's her fault that his desk had this obscenely loud buzzer that vibrates the entire desk yeah that seemed <laughs> unnecessary and and also not good for his blood pressure right. <laughs> <laughs> did i just lose track of it or do they drop that bit immediately after that scene oh they dropped that bit immediately okay because i forgot that was even in there i'm like oh yeah that we didn't come back to that at all <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, yeah, when there's too much going on in this movie, as far as you know, Venom and Harry Osborn and yeah, we barely talked but, about Harry Osborn. Yet. But oh, geez, I almost forgot he was in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. at least like the first quarter, like or third of this movie. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a major plot line, but there's so much going on. It was so weird how there was very little build up to that plot line. It's like it was like okay, we got to get Green Goblin in here. Get in the chamber. Turn into the Green Goblin. Okay, now go try to kill Spider Man. Like well, bam, bam, bam. There wasn't. There was. There was just so much going on. They they didn't have any time to build up to that point. Well, I think you're supposed to infer that he's been doing that during the previous interview oh, time while yeah. the relationship's okay. been happening. Like they've just American been antagonizing uh, again, each other. Once again, my inability to watch films correctly and not notice that, yeah, this is this isn't immediately after the second one hamstrings me. And the second movie even ends with that. Ends with him finding the the chamber full of secrets. Yes. But I guess they could have ramped up to it a little bit more, considering it's been three years. Yeah, maybe maybe have a couple of scuffles. To me, that again just felt like there was something unpolished in the writing. 
That was probably one of the worst scenes for me, though, visually. It feels like we're sort of at that point where they're like, oh, wow, CG can do all these things for us now. We can totally use it all the time when it's not perhaps quite at that point. And so, like, the green screen stuff's really obvious. You can tell when they've, like, pasted an actor's face on, like, some CG body and stuff like that. And it was really obvious to me in that opening midair scuffle between um, Spider-Man and the new Goblin. I agree. It was, I think, a fun idea and just didn't quite do it on execution. Like, still a little bit of, like, the cartooniness for, you know, moving human bodies. Yeah, but it's more like, it's cartoony, like, of, like, a... Like, you can tell they're going for realism and just not quite getting there. And there's actually a lot of scenes, I think, in this movie like that. That one just stuck out. But also, like, the one where he is fighting Sandman as the truck drives through the city. And he starts surfing on the door. (laughs) And, like, three years earlier, right, they probably would have tried to do something semi-practically to make that look right. But in this one, they were just like oh, we'll just add in a CG Spider-Man and Dora. And it was really obvious that they had just added in a CG Spider-Man and Dora. It just didn't really look right. There was a lot of things moving very quickly to try to keep you from noticing that. Yeah, didn't work. Here's the crazy part. Back when they were making the movie, most expensive movie ever made. Yes, I know. So it's it's not like they skimped out because they didn't have the budget for it. No, I think it was just something of like their reach exceeded their grasp of like, oh, we've got all this money. We can totally do all this crazy stuff. Well, well, yeah, yeah, you can. But what was the budget on this movie estimated? Um, 17 trillion dollars. Does that sound right? Oh, okay. Yeah, I think when you account for inflation. Yeah. Uh, Wikipedia is saying 258 million. Whoa, it's a big boy. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, it made 890. Yes, it did. But uh, Charlie was complaining to me before the podcast oh, about yeah. the Harry Osborne Okay, line. so we go through this whole first <laughs> third of the movie. And then after that scuffle, Harry Osborne falls to the ground, is knocked unconscious, goes to the hospital, wakes up and has amnesia, which yeah. just... Doesn't that happen to you? Causes him not to remember, I, I guess not just the things that have recently happened, but just about everything. At which point I literally said out loud to the movie oh f- you <laughs> it was it's like the laziest it's like you're saying doug it's like the laziest thing you can do screen yeah, writing wise and they needed to put more thought into it well I they, think they that... needed to put him on ice for the you know next third of the movie because they want to bring him in later they've established yeah. all his stuff and like now we don't want to hear from you it's like the pacing's horrible i think that didn't bother me because that's such a stan lee move <laughs> to just to to give a character like a villain temporary amnesia like that's literally how the first goblin storyline in Spider-Man is resolved is Norman Osborn gets amnesia and doesn't remember he's Green Goblin for something like 50 issues. Well then I guess we have to get into a conversation about what works in comic books versus what works in movies. <laughs> and I think there's a lot of stuff that can translate well. I don't think that's one of them. Like, I guess it just felt like an homage to that sort of thing. And so that's why I was like, okay, fine, I'm on board. I mean, I've I've played so many video games that I'm immune to the uh, amnesia <laughs> plot. Like, <laughs> Did, did you that... get the feeling that uh, Harry Osborn was going to have to save the world at that point? <laughs> oh, he's got amnesia. He must be the chosen one. <laughs> <laughs> and you get to the end of the film and, well... 
turns out he was a villain all along, but because he had amnesia, he was on the side of the heroes. Huh. Yeah, other script things that really bother me, like, okay, well, now there's going to be, albeit brief, romantic thing between Mary Jane and Harry. Like, oh, well, we've already been there. That was in the first movie. <laughs> now we're just going to revisit that because it's convenient at the time and he's got amnesia. And I'm like, oh, goodness. No, it's because it's a horror movie from Mary Jane's standpoint. <laughs> you got, you know, it's a horror movie. You got to play with the character as the puppet master writing it, you know, put him in a bad place, abuse him. And then we've got, we've got Mary Jane and we've got a Betty Brant, right? And then yeah. we've also got the neighbor next door that really likes Peter. Ursula. Ursula. And then we've got Gwen. It's a lot of romantic interests. A lot of romantic interests in this. We could have done with like one or two instead instead of four. Well, Ursula and Betty Brandt were pretty bit part. Granted. Okay. But it almost felt like a sort of a Spider-Man fire sale. Like Sam Raimi's <laughs> like, this is my last one. Let's get everything in here we can. Well, remember, he didn't think it was his last one. At the I time. know, I know. I'm just saying that's what it feels like. So, but even it when even me. when we watched it, right, we didn't know that. So. Yeah, I know. You're right. You're right. So, if I understand correctly, part of the things that make Peter Parker evil are dressing nicer and having more confidence. <laughs> <laughs> and the finger guns. Well, that's just part of the confidence, right? The confidence to pull out finger guns in public. <laughs> There's a reason pride is one of the seven deadly sins. Yeah. <laughs> like, obviously, I sort of got like that he's, you know, being awful to Mary Jane and stuff. But beyond that, it was like, oh, he's evil because, well, his hair's across his forehead. And did he that's have guy on? I wondered about that. I was that's partly why I thought he kind of looked like Billy Joe Armstrong, I think. <laughs> right, like okay, yeah, he shoves Eddie Brock into the picture frame, so that's kind of a, you know, jerk move, but like he ruins his career by pointing out the truth. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's not like he set him up in some way. He's just literally like you totally photoshopped this. And Eddie Brock's like, "Oh, I know. Please don't tell." And he's like, "F you, I'm totally telling." check it (laughs) right so it's like okay so evil things right gives him the confidence to you know play piano and dance around in a jazz club (laughs) you know like when he when he hops on the piano i was like did he have like a groundhog's day and we didn't know about it (laughs) he's been doing that same bit in the bar for for like 10 years this over and over again You think that it was supposed to just, just a better version of Peter Parker then? <laughs> well, I just wondered, like, what was inherently evil about him? Yeah, it wasn't so much evil. It's just like, it was like checking out girls on the street and stuff. You know, he was just being kind of like a basic chauvinist, sort of. I mean, that's fair. What was, what was weird in that whole sequence that the women seemed interested in him at the beginning of the sequence, but like a couple minutes later, weren't interested in him? Yeah, that was weird. Like, I yeah, that. Like, no, 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 like no. laughing no, no. at him, kind of and like, look at this guy. What? What? No, it's because they're like, is that Billy Joe Armstrong? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> That's yeah. gross. No, the thing is, it was the finger guns, actually. <laughs> he's like all confident, and they're like, they're not totally repulsed by him. They're just kind of like, oh, okay. And then he's like doing finger guns, and they're like. Ugh. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, if you want to know why that makes him evil, there's the part where he's only going out with Gwen Stacy in order to make Mary Jane feel bad. And then he goes full on Hank Pym on her. Okay, that's fair. Like knocks her to the floor accidentally. But, you know, again, Hank Pym. <laughs> comic Hank Pym. We comic should. Hank Pym. We have no I, I guess not that, everybody's uh, familiar with comic Hank Pym. We have no evidence that Michael Douglas did that. <laughs> I think we actually have enough evidence from watching those films that he didn't do that. Mm, can't wait to get to those movies. Wait, you stuff. sounded like you weren't excited. You sounded sarcastic there for a moment. Uh, I was trying to sound like appreciative, like, mm, yeah. Okay. <laughs> good stuff to <laughs> like at man has gave me the finger guns <laughs> finger gun voice so personal confession time at one point when in uh undergrad uh at work there was a girl i liked and i hadn't said anything to her but my friend dan knew so she came in at one point and i was working and she was like oh hi and i was like hey and did finger guns to her without thinking about it in in view of of Dan and uh, and our friend Tarek, who then, oh my goodness, who then both proceeded to mercilessly mock me about this for the rest of the semester, <laughs> <laughs> where they would either just go a to me, or they would be like finger guns, really. <laughs> this would have been two thousand. Four, I think something like that. So, I mean, it's really easy to criticize finger guns in hindsight. But anyone put in that situation, I mean, I double thumbs up at least twice a week to people. So. <laughs> but I, I didn't, I didn't mind the emo scene quite as much this time around because I viewed it more humorously, and a lot of that's just again hindsight. It's uh, how it's been kind of memefied over the years and i'm like oh this is supposed to be a funny scene instead of like his transformation to evil and it is played funny at some it is in a lot of ways yeah yeah i mean yeah yeah, it it knows that it's ridiculous i mean from from the finger guns montage so for me you know you know how i complained earlier about i thought like the beginning stuff was too cringe for me you know i didn't care for peter parker this time around when I got to the part where he's going full emo evil Peter Parker, I was more responding to what Adam was saying is, yeah, he's a lot more confident. He's not letting people push him around. And I was a lot more on board with the character at that point. It's like, yeah, Eddie Brock is being a bad person. Call him out on it. Yeah. Good for you, Peter. It took it a little too far, but. Plus, I think the emo scene kind of goes partway to explaining why the symbiote would have bailed on him eventually. <laughs> And the bell notwithstanding. Yeah, maybe. It's like, this guy isn't bad enough. This is what he thinks bad is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's not a bad enough dude. <laughs> wow. So how about that butler dropping truth bombs three years after it was relevant? Yeah. Oh, my God. It, it's like the, this movie was just like, okay, let's absolve peter parker of all his past sins <laughs> you know like he wasn't necessarily as directly responsible for uncle ben's death and also now we clear up the misunderstanding after um, he's tried to kill peter parker twice already at least yeah <laughs> i can't let oh, this go on way. anymore <laughs> stop trying to kill peter parker <laughs> <laughs> yeah. by the way i i cleaned your 
dad's dead body wounds, whatever. He totally self-inflicted. And Brianna objected at that point. She was like, just because it was his glider doesn't mean it was self-inflicted. <laughs> yeah, also this Butler's a forensic scientist too. Like <laughs> <laughs> I did go to medical school before I became a well, butler. I mean I guess we technically don't know his background other than that he's been the butler for the of the family. He'd always be cleaning up after Norm. Norm would come home late and not put his glider away. And he'd be like, Norm, you got to put your glider away. It's dangerous. You're going to trip and fall on it and kill yourself. <laughs> See, you, you keep calling him Norm, and now I'm just picturing George Wendt as the <laughs> But I thought that the the butler was not very good at line delivery, I guess. Correct. Like, like to the point where I was like, who is this? And it turns out it's Bill Paxton's dad. Oh, okay. Is Bill Paxton's dad an actor? Not really. Okay. He's basically in the three Spider-Man movies. And then I think it was he was in the, the movie Last Man Standing with Bruce Willis. Oh, quite the CV. And then there was like a one or two other. Then he shows up in like subsequent Sam Raimi films, I think. Because I guess Sam Raimi liked, liked him or something, but. Yeah, I was like, wow, just this is who you got. Sam Raimi casting. We get Bruce Campbell again. We do. A much larger role. Yeah. I read an interesting thing on Wikipedia that suggested that the reason that Bruce Campbell is the wrestling announcer in the first movie, the bouncer in the second movie, and now this weird French guy in the third movie, is that they're, in fact, all the same person. <laughs> they are all, in fact, According, they were talking about making him Mysterio. <laughs> oh. oh, okay. Hmm. That was, who, uh... who is a uh, master of special effects and stuff, right? So I was like, part of me was sad that we didn't get a Spider-Man 4 with Bruce Campbell as Mysterio. Yeah. Because this was like one of what one of the like the screenwriters was saying. That would be amazing. I can't yeah. imagine that being anything other than full Raimi. But <laughs> Well, apparently we're finally getting Mysterio in the Spider-Man sequel. So Yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal. Yep. Hmm. I mean, given that Mysterio's whole shtick is practical special effects, would it be an affront to God to put CGI into that movie? Hmm. His, it's his whole shtick. Huh, his special yeah. effects are so good that they look and seem real. You should contact the producers. You still have time. <laughs> you don't know me, but I'm an angry fan on the internet. <laughs> yeah, maybe I can ask those uh, those Last Jedi people how, it, it, like, if they got any tips on how to make that work out, huh? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Start your GoFundMe already to remake the movie that's not made yet. <laughs> <laughs> remake Spider-Man Two with all practical effects. <laughs> Spider Tom Man. Holland, Spider-Man 2, I mean. Spider-Man 3, 2. <laughs> <laughs> so that final scene, that final fight, I mean. The video uh, game? It's kind of what it felt like at some points. <laughs> but first of all, so so Charlie swore when Harry Osborn had amnesia. And maybe this is just because I'm not a true patriot. But when Spider-Man swings in and lands in front of the flag, that's the moment at which I said, oh, f- you to the movie (laughs) (laughs) we're just like oh can we make this any more obvious that he's a hero again well you get that in the first movie right 
I think it's the last shot of the first movie. No, he's on the flagpole, but he's not standing in front of a slowly billowing giant flag. Ah, okay. Gotcha. But I, I couldn't shake the feeling watching that fight scene this time around with the giant Sandman and the crowd of people all like surrounding the area. But I was just watching like a 2007 interpretation of a Ghostbusters ending. (laughs) (laughs) And then like he like collapses into like CG, like his head gets blown off and arms and stuff. And I'm like, this is what would happen in in a Ghostbusters movie. And then Venom leaps at him like a spirit. And I was like, "Okay, (laughs) you're just proving my point here. (laughs) Car kept asking, why are all these people standing around? (laughs) Why don't they go home or run away? (laughs) <laughs> the New Yorkers, they're used to it. And I, I right, just... so they shouldn't know. They should just walk on by. <laughs> oh, they fight their way through the subway every day. <laughs> Nothing scares them anymore. There's no such thing as too close. So the police are used to this. They know exactly what distance to cordon off. <laughs> Yeah, gigantic sandman uh, about uh, 150 feet (laughs) anyone else have that feeling or just me i mean not specifically ghostbusters but that general feeling of the climax being sort of like being distanced from it a bit yeah i think some of it for me was that the movie just felt too long so i was like okay i guess we have to have one of these scenes too (laughs) but it, it I didn't feel particularly invested. Maybe it's just because, you know, it sort of felt like the Venom Sandman team up wasn't particularly organic. Yeah. It is a long movie. You're right there. I just remember when I turned it on, I was like, oh, really? It's this long? Like, I forgot about that. Yeah, the scene makes a lot more sense now in light of what Adam said earlier about Sam Raimi not even wanting Venom in the movie initially. (laughs) Yeah, when the Venom and the Sandman meet up, like you say, it just doesn't really work. You don't like this guy. I don't like this guy. And then, you know. The screenwriter at one point, or one of them, did say that after they got, like, all the stuff from, like, Sam Raimi and then also, like, the studio and stuff, that they'd written so much in that they were worried it was too much and they considered splitting it into two films, but they couldn't work out what the the intermediate climax would be Mm. (laughs) to essentially end the third movie Uh, and set up for a fourth. What would be their smog flying away? Uh, (laughs) Yeah, to pick a really really good example. (laughs) (laughs) It would just be Peter Parker goes Hank Pym. Because Venom doesn't show up until after that scene. You know, you get that scene and he's like, okay, well, I need to get rid of this thing. He gets rid of it, takes over Eddie Brock, and we get Venom. There's your fourth movie. Like, my thought was you just restructure it so the third movie's about Sandman. Yeah, yeah. And and Harry Osborn, although you stretch that out so that he has amnesia through the end of the third movie. You introduce Eddie Brock in the third movie, but don't make him Venom at that point. You just make him, like, the opposite. And then you can focus on spider-man 4 at that point with just turning eddie brock into venom and uh like having harry regain his memory to do to become goblin yeah i'm okay with the memory loss if it happens at the end of the movie and like the memory loss is between movies or yeah he regains back like right at the end maybe i don't know i'm trying to defend it again here where i still think it's a bad idea overall but well, we had exactly that sort of thing at the the end of the previous movie where Harry Osborn discovers all of the Green Goblin stuff. Yeah, it makes you thus, excited. We for need, thus, we needed to retcon it at the beginning of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. <laughs> yeah, maybe we could have just, yeah, cut out the first third of this movie. 
Maybe that's the fix. The first third? Uh, okay. I yeah, don't I'd know. probably take the middle third out. Yeah. Well, that's the part I liked least, but... Well, it's also the part that like the least stuff happens, it feels yeah. like. Which third is the worst? <laughs> it should clearly be three movies. At least that, that's what the execs want. That's what I hear. One of them is a remote is a romantic comedy between uh, between Mary Jane and Peter Parker. <laughs> comedy and Gwen Stacy. And Gwen Stacy, there is your conflict. You really want them to hobbit this movie up. <laughs> <laughs> We need more villains that aren't in from any comic book. <laughs> you know, when Sandman and Peter Parker are fighting in the sewer, they should be flowing down the sewer in barrels. <laughs> <laughs> For a really long time. <laughs> Ooh, and maybe we could introduce Doctor Strange into that scene as well, even though he's not actually in any of the comics. <laughs> oh, yeah but he's a fan favorite he's, right he's got he's got star cred oh i'm sorry did i say it's dr strange i meant wolverine <laughs> <laughs> oh you know we did have the lizard in there we did after a fashion dr connors who just oh so okay so gwen stacy and peter parker are lab partners right uh-huh. now the date at the nightclub was that after the semester was over, or did he then have to go into lab the next week and work <laughs> with Gwen Stacy doing an experiment? Mm, interesting question. Awkward. I also thought it was weird how Mary Jane got upset that Peter had never mentioned his lab partner. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, I just thought it wasn't interesting enough to talk about. <laughs> And I was like, I was really taking stock of like, hmm, would I have talked about my lab partner? (laughs) Probably, so probably Peter would have. That's totally in his character. He's just that much of a dork. (laughs) What's with those college bullies, too? (laughs) Oh, yeah, what the heck? forgot about that he's got a freaking mirror he's shining the other guy with seriously those sidekicks are rough (laughs) let's go pay 10 grand a semester and then uh pick on some guy in the front row instead of paying attention (laughs) yeah Yeah. it's like homer simpson nerd Um, I will say there was one moment that genuinely affected me, although probably not for the reasons intended. But when Stan Lee shows up and has his line about how one man can make a difference, enough said. Like, I literally teared up. Yeah, yeah, that was a good cameo. Because we forgot to mention it last time. Stan Lee wasn't in Ghost Rider, so he didn't have a cameo. But um, uh, we're now watching movies after Stan Lee has passed away. So I don't think that was meant to have that effect at the time, no, right? No. Other than just like, oh, Stanley gets to say enough said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. But watching it this time, I was like, oh my gosh! Like I was like mm, choking up a bit here. It's one of his more consequential. Well, not consequential. It's one of his more visible. I don't even know how to put it. Yeah, more visible or direct cameos, yeah. usually in the background or doing something silly. Well, we are starting yeah. to get to the point where he has more overt cameos. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if he has lines all the time, but like 
like looking at the movies coming up, I think he's definitely noticeable. I think in all of these movies, he has cameos in. If he doesn't have lines, he's at least pretty foregrounded for the most part. At least we're still in the part where he's only cameoing in movies where he had something to do with the comics. Right. I don't think that'll change until I think Guardians of the Galaxy is the first one he cameos in that he didn't have a role yeah. in. The, so anyway, R.I.P. Stanley Excelsior. Anybody else have anything they want to say before we wrap it up? Oh, before we get to that, I want to. I have oh one. Com- I have one complaint. What was the point of in Spider-Man Two setting up John Jameson as an astronaut if you're not going to use him in Spider-Man Three with the alien symbiote? That's a missed opportunity, guys. Ooh. So your complaint is there should have been more stuff crammed into this film. Yes, okay. into the first of the trilogy. <laughs> right. Dang it, Paul. <laughs> the Spider-Man Three trilogy. An entirely expected journey. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Doug, go ahead. Okay. But just remember. Let's just say I'm the boss. <laughs> the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> <laughs> Till the batteries run out. <laughs> are they not replaceable? I'm sure they are. Oh, okay. Whether I will is an entirely different story. <laughs> it's lived a good life. <laughs> <laughs> you obviously didn't go to business school. All right. So in addition to the stuff that I mentioned before, we also have her getting jerked around emotionally by Harry Osborn. You know, him basically telling her, oh, you like Peter Parker so much? Well, I'm going to kill him unless you dump him. And, you know, then she ends up, you know, what, taking a job as a waitress and getting embarrassed by Peter Parker. And she gets kidnapped by Venom, you know, damsel in distress kind of thing. She is just having the worst darn few months of her life. Yeah, that's definitely it's a low true. point. Like it, it's just it's just body blow after body blow for this girl. I don't know. I I just it just kind of it made me feel bad. There's nothing really for her in this movie. She's just yeah, like it doesn't feel like it really makes up for. There's there's no like really convincing payoff for everything that she was put through. Yeah. So ultimately. What did you all think of this movie? Would you give it the finger guns or would you just kind of <laughs> let it on by? Oh, or just the finger. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I was literally flipping it off. The double bird over and over again <laughs> watching it. Guess I'm asking how many alien symbiotes would you give this movie? Even though of all the movies we've watched, this is the one I've enjoyed complaining about the most. I don't think it's the worst movie we've watched by quite a bit. It's just so disappointing in relation to the other Spider-Man movies. And I think that's what hurt it the first time I watched it. And it's still what's hurting it now. So I feel like I want to give it something like a two symbiotes. But I know that's <laughs> that's not accurate. That's too low. There were things that I actually liked here. Like I, I liked Thomas Hayden Church. I liked, let's see, what else? J. Jonah Jameson. <laughs> uh, th- I mean, there's, th- there's stuff in here. Um, I'm going to go with four symbiotes out of ten. Kind of on par with Daredevil theatrical cut. Does that feel right to you? Uh, I think it does feel right. That puts it slightly over Elektra also. and But slightly below X-Men 3. Yes. I think it's funny that we just talked about X-Men The Last Stand being a super crowded, overstuffed movie. I'm like, wow, when are we going to see something like that again? It was just two movies later. <laughs> <laughs> Almost worse. I don't think quite as bad. This one gave you like an extra... 35 40 minutes to deal with this right. stuff in this i guess <laughs> and somehow still wasted the middle 30 minutes of the movie 
So yeah, four. Yeah, this one's actually tough for me. Similar to what you said, I find this actually a very frustrating movie to watch because there's moments when you can see where the good movie that they kind of had pokes through a bit. The majority of the scenes involving Sandman, I think, are elements where that pokes through. J. Jonah Jameson stuff, obviously. Even most of the Gwen Stacy stuff and the way that plays with Mary Jane, you know, except for a couple scenes, like you can sort of see like, oh, like they could have had something really good on their hands here. But then it just got, you know, due to like script problems and being overstuffed and whatnot, like it just it doesn't land the way it should. And so I actually find this therefore really difficult to rate because of how torn I am between like the movie we got and the movie we could have got. And just like that uneasy relationship between the bad parts and the good parts. So you're like uh, Peter Parker up in the bell tower. <laughs> I mean, you say Fighting that, with a symbiote. that's kind of how it feels. It's uh-huh. like I'm tearing up my hair going, oh, what do I do? <laughs> and meanwhile, meanwhile, Doug's down in the church praying for them to kill this movie. <laughs> kill Peter Parker. <laughs> All right, so maybe I let just Mary to... Jane go free. So maybe I just need to fight a little longer and let it drip onto Doug. <laughs> uh, ultimately, I think I'm going to give this six alien symbiotes out of ten, which is going to put it on par for me with uh, X Men and Ghost Rider. So apparently I'm just on like a six kick here. I mean, that feels right to me in some way in that like Ghost Rider also had those moments of like differing, like not sure what movie it wants to be. The difference I think is that Ghost Rider has more fun at times, but Spider-Man 3 threatens to be a better movie, but it just doesn't really succeed. And like it's in the way that Ghost Rider can't maintain that fun tone and like shifts to other things. So I think six makes sense for me. It's not the worst movie we've ever seen. And in fact, I think it's actually on the whole, it does more right than it does wrong. It's just that the stuff it does wrong is really frustrating. Yeah, I agree that this is a very polarizing film and not in the way in which it polarizes the audience, some portion against each other, but polarizes them against themselves. <laughs> like so, so it's like a polarized film and that it's like two poles pulling yeah, geez. throughout the movie. Uh, like one of the things that I really enjoyed was a lot of the performances. And there's a scene where James Franco is made to look a little bit like Willem Dafoe. He's like channeling the Green Goblin. But like you look at it and you're just it's not overt. It's just subtle and just noticeable enough that you're like, wait, that I can, I'm getting a Green Goblin vibe from this guy's features and just amazingly well done. The writing had so many problems that frustrated me so much. And other parts of the CGI were, like Adam said, reach exceeds the grasp. I'm going to yeah, give us five symbiotes out of ten. Yeah, there's some moments in where they're doing like Sandman stuff where I'm just like, wow, these particle effects are really poor. Particularly in like the, the last battle where he's super big and stuff. Yeah, the, the, the origin of Sandman part was pretty good. Yeah, well, I, it looked better on the big screen than it did at home. The origin part was pretty good. And I actually liked the the water part where he gets hit by the flood. Where Peter Parker attempts to murder him. Yes. Like all good heroes do. That's the point of the movie. He's being <laughs> influenced. Yeah, I, uh, I don't have too much to add to uh, what you guys have already said. I think that when I first saw this 
movie, I had a slightly more favorable opinion than those around me. And, you know, then over the years, you just kind of forget what it was and you join the bandwagon. And then 10 years later, you watch it again and see what they were all talking about. But in general, I thought there were some entertaining elements. I just thought it crammed too much in and had some kind of inconsistencies in everything, really. But uh, I'd have to say I'll go with probably six symbiotes, alien symbiotes. Okay. Well, thanks for joining us, everyone. Uh, Next time in our march, we jump forward six weeks to my birthday in 2007. And our final pre-MCU film, which is Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer. Wow. And so until next time, uh, I'm probably past that point too, though. But I'm Adam Gabeski. Past what point? What? I have no idea. I <laughs> <laughs> was continue to be Adam even after the next episode. That's right. Oh, oh so you're okay. gonna have to wait at least a couple before the next reboot. <laughs> and I'm Charlie Wallace, and thank you once again to our uh, two Merry Marvel Movie March guests, Doug Gabeski. Good to be here. And Paul Wilcox. It was a pleasure. So you mean our Merry Marvel movie marchers? Yeah. I mean, they're here every episode. So our fellow move, our fellow quad um, Merry Marvel movie marchers. Yeah, that works. <laughs> I can't shorten it. There's no way to do it. Our, our, our fellow marchers. <laughs> Hey everyone, thanks for listening to our show. Make sure to check out our website at gobeskywallsreport.com. Hey everybody, check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Just follow us at GW Report and like our page on Facebook, the Gobeski Wallace Report. And hey everybody, tune in to next episode where there's sure to be tons more hilarity that we know you'll enjoy. Hey everybody. Sandman is so much better. He's my favorite part of the movie, actually. I assume he's Paul's favorite part, too. It was tough to unthink of him as uh, Lloyd? Lowell. 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 Oh. Wow, all these people that I just, like, whatever happened to Crystal Bernard? (laughs) Speaking of geological names. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so this is our second Uh, Wings alum in uh, our Merry Marvel movie march. I don't think we'll get any more. That I can think of. Wait. Because we had Stanford? Tony Shaloub in uh, oh, Men in Black. Antonio Scarpacci. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is that why Adam was making a Wings joke earlier today? Yeah. <laughs> I've never watched Wings, so I didn't know. Oh, that. okay. I had no idea he was on Wings. And I'm just looking up all the other cast members, see if they've ever been in a Marvel movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I feel like the... Tim Daly. like brothers yeah steven weber steven weber i don't remember their names in the show joe and brian oh and there was um the big guy yeah who was that name? roy roy yes seems like he could be in a marvel movie no changes to the character <laughs> <laughs> now you're making me want to watch this he could, he could be like the the budget uh j jonah jameson <laughs> <laughs> Wow, I kind of want to sit down and watch Wings at some point. It's been like a couple decades since I've seen an episode of Wings. You, if you're yeah. if we're in the area, my my uh, mom has 
many of the DVDs. <laughs> um, 